What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, I am so honored to welcome my friend and yours, the Reverend Billy F. Gibbons. We talk about everything from Joe Hardy to guitars and how we got the pearly gates, Les Paul, to music and just all things Billy Gibbons. So check it out. It was nice running into you last night at uh, Guthrie's gig. Who would have thought... Uh... You know, it was uh, a very tidy environment. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was quite nice. It was, uh, it was, uh, he's such a good player um, and uh, such, such a good dude. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last couple of years and I've heard his name around town for years, but you know, I don't get, I don't get out much, but. Uh, Did, <laughs> yeah. Didn't you enjoy the accompaniment, the bass player, the keyboard, the, Percussion sounds all made for a very nice platform. And of course, the intimacy of that room. Uh, what more could you ask for? It was it turned out to be cool. Yeah, I you know, I tell you what, not only do I miss, I I, I miss playing shows as we all do, but but I I I miss being able to see the crowd. I, I don't remember a time when I was able to do my own gig where I can actually see people in the audience because you're kind of on a stage and you got the spotlight and you know, it, it just kind of looks like you're looking into this cavernous, empty, you know, hall. But it's 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 good to see people's reaction, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, one of my favorite moments uh, during the break, I don't know if you uh, caught this, but Guthrie strolled over to the table with a, a video clip illustrating your waltz across the street without a case holding a vintage fender no caster i loved it <laughs> yeah you know it's it, it's um it, it i live across the street from this venue yeah and guthrie was like hey come sit in i said you know i'm not even gonna like bring a case and he goes okay and he, i don't think he thought i was serious about it and there <laughs> i was i was like I'll, I'll i'll take the 53 esquire across the street i'm not scared it, those things are those things are made to last you know well, they're war clubs. They were designed to be beat on, thrashed with. And, uh, you know, uh, it sure sounded good. I'll say that. Thank you. Thank you. You know, when I first met you back in the 90s with uh, now, uh, sadly, the late, great Joe Hardy, um, and it, you were playing Esquires. You were playing Black Fender Esquires. And you had these snakes, uh, these these uh snakes like uh put in the middle like where the pick guard would be and they were like the coolest looking guitars ever and yeah you know yeah. they're so so simple but you still sounded like billy gibbons the, the, whatever you play you sound like yourself well there's there's certain magic which uh you and and uh and i can join the the many players that have found uh some real handiness in the the utter simplicity of a Fender Esquire. Right. Um, it comes down to a challenge. It's all. It becomes all in the hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. There's like. There's no. There's no rhythm position. There's no change of sound. It's. It's just direct. You know, and they haven't have a, a spot on the switch where it goes directly to the jack, and you bypass the tone pot, and it's like it's just the pickup. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They're really uh, uh, something to behold. 
I, I remember uh, James Harmon. Uh, unfortunately, he uh, he went to another planet recently. He passed away, but yeah. uh, one, one afternoon I was saying, "Gee," I said, uh, uh, I, "I was following some guys out of a out of a show. We had just pulled off a show, and I overheard these two guys talking. And the one fellow said, "Well," I said, "I could probably do that if I had one of those fancy guitars." Right. And it was James. He said, well, uh, if, if they're blaming you for uh, uh, your, your asset, which is now turned against you, he said, go get a Fender Esquire. Right. Show up, you know, just just take it back to square one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes you play, you know, it, make, it makes you really kind of just concentrate on the music and and being a member of a, an ensemble, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, indeed. What was what was your first guitar? I know you've been asked this a million times, but what was like? Because you know you're you're a renowned collector, and and have had some have some great guitars. What was the what was the the very first instrument you owned? Believe it or not, as we speak of simplicity, uh, I, I had the Gibson version of of entry level. It was a it was a uh, Melody maker, right. single cutaway, single pickup. There right. again, <laughs> right. it was a good way to start off. Um, uh, you uh, connected to a uh, simple Fender Champ. Mm -hmm. You you know you got to you teach your hands how to how to get around tones. So you 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 started on electric. I was the same way. I I started on electric. I always wanted to be an electric guitar player. You know you have a you. You have a you have a very famous line in, in in our in our in our camp. We always use the Billy Gibbons line going when somebody brings an acoustic guitar, we goes, oh man, that's kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah man. It's like uh, if you had a choice, sailboat or a, a power craft. Don't right. don't get don't give me a blowboat. <laughs> right. Like was was ZZ Top like you know, back in like the early 90s when they were doing all those MTV mtv unplugs did they ever come to zz top and say hey we'd like to do an mtv unplugged of of the classic I, I would imagine they did you know uh when that invitation arrived we uh we thought that the the nearest thing that would make sense would be the bridge between acoustic and electric and of course uh that would be the national uh, resonator guitar. Right. It's kind of the stepping stone between the two. Right. Right. And they're they're, they're loud and trashy. So I said, yeah, we, we may consider it. Yeah. It's um the thing about, you know, um, you know, the the you know, we we've I've known you for a long time and and I remember sitting there in, in, in France and you were playing me all these songs and you have so much music and knowledge of music and the history of, of not only blues, but the stuff that, 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 you know, has come before us, you know, is it, does it get overwhelming sometimes having that much music in, in your mind, you know, when, when it comes to writing a song or, or, you know, just going, I don't even know what I want to listen to today. If I want to listen to anything. Well, yeah. Uh, what's, what seems to be unfolding is uh, a wealth of all sorts of music. I think we're surrounded right now with as much music, uh, certainly more than ever before. 
And what's really crazy is all accessible. Right. And uh, however, at the same time, I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed. I've got about a dozen records that never seem to be too far away from the turntable. I go right. back to the same, <laughs> the same right. thing. But what's really fascinating, let's take um, one, of my, one, of my, one of my favorites, of course, is uh, the great work of Jimmy Reed. Yeah. And uh, a lot of folks mistakenly say, oh, yeah, that's that simple stuff. But underneath it all is a level of sophistication that's, that's crazy. I've been listening to Jimmy Reed records forever. And it, it never ceases to amaze me that... Uh, on any given day, I can listen to it, and I'm hearing things that, that I I never thought uh, was possible. Right. right. You you hear something new. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's like on a lot of those blues records, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, people will say the, 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 you know, oh, oh, it's just the blues. It'll be easy. And I go, oh, that's that's just the wrong thing to say. It's easy to play bad blues. It's very difficult to play it correctly, you know with the right spaces yeah there's a lot of ways to play those those the, we call it those same three chords those right. same chords have a, a, a million angles yeah and and um how did you when you started to go down that that that, that rabbit hole and take that journey with with um with blues you know you even within the context of zz top always played the right stuff at the right time you know and it's like how did how did you start identifying what the right stuff is because i've been trying to do it for years and i can never figure it out but you always had the right it was always the subtle reference or just this little thing you would throw in that would to me make the song or make the solo and it was it was you just go that that's something that's that's a deep knowledge it's a deep well would you tend to uh, join me in pointing the finger at keith richards he said yeah it's three chords let's just do it a different way <laughs> right exactly <laughs> um tell me what, what was it what was it like um hanging with hendrix there's those great those those great photos of you with jimmy um i and i believe like a 50s fender strat which i always thought was yours because jimmy never played a 50s model with a maple neck he played the later ones and there's these great pictures of you with him and that old strat uh, on any given night you could go through the backstage door there was always a truck with two dozen brand new strats right of, of which uh were sent over so that uh, jimmy could go through them and pick his favorite one right my uh my most enduring recollection was sharing uh, at the end of the hotel rooms, the hallway, we'd always be relegated to the very last room. Uh, he had the left side and I had the right, but the, the doors were always open. And I, I recall uh, watching a, a record player being hauled into his room and he, he motioned, he said, hey, come on over. Uh, lo and behold, he was listening to the uh, the Jeff Beck group, and uh, he said, and he's pointing to the record, and he says, "How do you think Jeff Beck does?" That? I said, "Jimmy, I bet Jeff Beck is pointing to one of your records, going, how does this guy do that?'" Right, right. 
when um, when did you uh, find that the Les Paul pretty much was the sound of early ZZ Top? I mean, like the ZZ Top's first album has a little picture of Pearly right in the center of it. I was like, that if that's not the coolest tribute to the to the legendary Pearly Gates, I don't know what it is. And when did you like? Because obviously, I, you know, you know, there's you played tellies, you played broadcasters, strats on ZZ Top records, um, you know. But when you think of those early recordings, it's that big, thick Les Paul sound. Yeah, um, there, there's a constant uh, recollection of the John Mayall Bluesbreaker record. They call it the Beano album, right? Pictured on the front is the band, and of course, uh, Clapton is reading a copy of the English comic book, right. the Beano. But if you turn the record over, that telltale photograph pretty much says it all. You can see Clapton, he's cradling a sunburst, and kind of out of focus, you see the little Marshall behind him. Right. That, that was the key. That seemed to be the combination. And of course, later on, uh, uh, I teamed up with Jeff Beck. The Moving Sidewalks uh, jumped on board a tour where Jeff was actually, uh, he too was playing a sunburst with a stack of uh, right. 100 waters. And, you know, that that was the eye opener. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it still stands as a cornerstone today. I don't know. I don't know too many people that don't really put two and two together in that fashion, but uh, that was really the turning point. Right. Do you, do you remember what you paid for Pearly? Oh yeah. I yeah. I had been looking what, ever since discovering uh, the blues breakers, I kept uh, asking her, I said, man, you know, you know where we could find one of those guitars with the big fat pickups. We had no clue what they were even called. Yeah. And a buddy of mine said, hey, man, he said, uh, there, there's a cowboy outside of town. He, he's, a, he's got a ranch uh, outside of town. He played in a band, but I think he's got one of those guitars. He doesn't play anymore. Maybe you ought to go talk to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there was a, we had a girlfriend that uh, had been invited to come out to California to try out to, for a part in a movie. Right. She, but she didn't have a way to get there. So we gave her. We had an old uh, Andy Feehan and I, we shared the keys to this 1939 Packard. It, right. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a crazy, it was, you know, it was huge. And uh, she was this petite little thing. We said, Renee, uh, hop behind the wheel and see if it'll get you to the West coast, which right. it did. Nice. Uh, not only did she get there, but she got the part. Well, she had no use for the car, so she sold it, and she sent us the money. The day that that check arrived was the day that we went out and found this guitar laying under the bed mm -hmm. in this nice old brown case. Voila. The there guy said, well, there it is. I don't play it. Uh, I'm ready to get rid of it. What you got? I, I waved a check for 250 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, do you, I mean, do you look at the prices of like some of these guitars? I mean, like, cause you're very responsible for these guitars being that valuable. You know what I mean? It's like, you would you ever think they were going to be like 300,000, half a million dollars. Some of these things. I mean, like, I mean, obviously I, they're like Stradivariuses, but it, it's an electric guitar. 
Yeah, it's a mystery. And uh, our buddy George Gruen uh, has made a point to uh, illustrate the time when the solid body electric guitar became a production item. Right. They were cast aside as kind of the unwanted stepchild. The jazz box guitars were being treated gingerly and uh, so much attention was given. These, these solid body things were rolling down uh, with, with very little thought given the fact they, they were under the impression, well, this is a passing fad. These things will right. never last. And uh, of course, the opposite side of that coin is, was very quickly flipped upside down. And now uh, they have turned out to be uh, probably, you know, some of the uh, top of the line. The good news is that, that when we say that they were kind of considered uh, second class, right. they, were, they, they were genuinely well-made. Yeah, and they and that not only have they lasted, but the sound has become the beat on the street. You can't. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to beat them. Yeah, yeah, it is very hard to beat. I'm, speaking of the beat on the street, I think one of the coolest thing videos I've ever seen. I believe it was you. You were in Stockholm, Sweden, or someplace in Scandinavia. You had a Strat, and you're ripping this killer blues on the street like you were a busker and to watch people walk down the street because you're very recognizable okay you know there's, there's it's very hard for you to go incognito okay and people were going it can't be billy gibbons and it was it was that was you gilligan uh, and i uh, she had dragged me down to uh, a little shopping zone uh, and you're right it was in we were in uh, helsinki helsinki right Sure enough, man. And uh, we decided to make a walk back. Uh, we took some avenue. We took a left turn. And there, a couple blocks away, we heard the sound of a guitar. And as we made the corner, there was a guy, had a little battery-powered amp. And he, uh, now he did make uh, the connection. And as we approached, he's, he kind of signaled. He said, like, hey, you want to you want to take over? And, and I threw it across the shoulder. And and uh, he had a, uh, he, he must've had some type of, it was, uh, it, he was, he was playing a slow blues number. Yeah. And uh, I kind of fell into it and uh, okay. I, I kept on for a good uh, four or five minutes and not <laughs> one single person even stopped. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It That's was great. great. Yeah, it was great. But what I was, you know, one of the things I did notice about that video is like, it's like, it was like a slow blues loop and you play, you're playing his, basically a stranger's guitar. And, but your tone was like dropping the needle on blue jean blues. You oh, know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, come on. You know, it's like, that was, that, that was really, really killer. And, and, and it, it, I, I tried to busk one time for a DVD in New York City on the, on the 72nd Street platform made no money and i even seeded my own case i put i put money in the case yeah, to try to yeah. purge not a single person cared and we were well, headlining the beacon you know yeah, sure enough man uh the one uh, regret was uh leaving that uh as i remember it was kind of a seafoam green uh, yeah. stratocaster but uh 
I, I left. And by the time I realized, gee whiz, maybe I should have made an offer to buy that thing from me. Cause it, as you point out, it had a sound, man. Yeah. It would, but we went back and gone, you know. Oh yeah. Who knows? yeah right. <laughs> Another yeah. one that got away. Just before we wrap up. Um, I love the tracks I've heard from the new album hardware. It sounds great. And, um, and, and I love the nod to Joe Hardy, who was the producer of my first album. And obviously you knew him and, and we all loved him. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, thanks for being here. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an honor to know you, sir, as, as, as it's always been, you know? Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, our exchanges always go deep. Uh, the next time we uh, cross paths, we'll take it deeper. I will see, I will see you in New York city for the love rocks. I'm on that gig. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll be crossing paths around the corner and uh, let's pick it up where we leave. Uh, today's been great. We'll make it greater. All right. Billy Gibbons, ladies and gentlemen, this has been live from Nerdville. Thank you.